Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy Long and this is the Full Metal Traveler podcast for those fellow wanderers who enjoy the history behind each destination they visit. This is episode number one, yes, the very first one, which I'm going to call Busted Gateway. This is based on a short day trip I took with my wife where we visited the ghost town of Rhyolite, Nevada, which is just an hour and a half north of Las Vegas where we live. Ghost towns are always fun to check out because they often pack tons of history into a short time frame. You can download all of my podcast episodes as well as check out other articles and pictures from my trips at fullmetaltraveler.com. Please feel free to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you really want to be a saint, leave me a five-star review. Now let's get started, but first, a quick word. This podcast is produced by Full Metal Worldwide, a digital marketing company out of Las Vegas, which also produces the sports podcast, The Final Countdown, and the combat sports focus program, Levels, which I, of course, host with my partners, Michael Price and Cassandra Cousineau. Visit FullMetalWorldwide.com or FullMetalSports.com to check out these wonderful podcasts. Nevada, the Battleborn State, August 9th, 1904. 120 miles northwest of present-day Las Vegas. Euphoric cries of joy spring from legendary old-time prospector Frank Shorty Harris's lips. Ed, we've got the world by the tail or else we're coppered, he hollers at his befuddled partner Ed Cross. Moments before, the five-foot-four Shorty Harris was walking after his burrows that had wandered off that morning in search of breakfast. Harris took his pickaxe to a ledge of rock with a few copper stains on it on a hunch, and he couldn't believe his eyes. Gold. Not small flakes, big chunks of yellow metal. To the prospectors, it seemed like the entire mountain was made out of gold. The yellow material mixed with the green, almost turquoise hue of the rock reminded the men of the back of a bullfrog. And so, the Bullfrog Mine was born. In fact, the Bullfrog Mining District, the Bullfrog Hills, Bullfrog Mountain, and the town of Bullfrog all took their name from the Bullfrog Mine. Bullfrog proved to be so popular that most of the other 200-plus mining companies that would follow included Bullfrog in their names. And I'm sure that wasn't confusing at all. It's amazing how fast good news travels. The two suddenly rich prospectors couldn't help but brag about their find once they got back to the closest town, the appropriately named Goldfield, Nevada. One of the first men told was Harris and Cross's good friend and fellow miner Bob Montgomery. Montgomery quickly got his gear together and, along with prospector Shoshone Johnny of the local Shoshone indigenous tribe, set out to stake their claim, which would turn out to be the largest and most successful mine in the area. Less than two weeks later, more than 1,000 men were camped near Harris and Cross's claim, with more coming each day. Settlements rose from the ground overnight. The largest of these settlements was Rhyolite, named after the igneous rock that can be found in the area. It was, for a time, a gateway to Death Valley, as well as a fast track for vast riches. 
By February 1905, the Montgomery Shoshone mine produced ore valued as high as $16,000. In present-day dollars, that would be over 400 grand per ton. In June 1905, the town, which started with just two men 10 months before, now boasted an official population of 2,500 people. The desert town soon hosted 50 saloons, 35 gambling tables, 19 lodges, 16 restaurants, a half a dozen barbers, a public bathhouse, a weekly newspaper, daily stagecoach service to Goldfield 60 miles away, and of course, makeshift shacks for prostitution. In February 1906, the Montgomery Shoshone mine was sold to famed industrialist Charles M. Schwab for somewhere between 2 and $6 million in present-day funds. Schwab then poured a ton of cash into his investment. He opened a huge mill right on site to process the ore, hired scores of new workers, opened new tunnels, had water piped in, and ran electricity from over 100 miles away. He also made a deal to have a railroad spur line service the town, which began on December 14, 1906, just 16 months after gold was first discovered. Now keep in mind, boomtown populations were hard to keep track of with people always in and out of town overnight, but by 1907, Rhyolite held between four and 5,000 people. Some estimated a peak population of six to 8,000 residents in the area. But this was no sweltering, hot, dusty, unruly place in the desert. In 1907, Rhyolite had concrete sidewalks, electric lights and water mains, telephones and telegraphs, police and fire departments, a hospital, a two-story, eight-room school for up to 250 children, a train station and a railway depot, three banks, a stock exchange, a public swimming pool, two churches, and, believe it or not, an opera house. Can you imagine? Men, dusty and dirty from a long day's work, shuffling in to hear the latest operatic offerings from Europe. Families enjoying beans and bacon while drinking champagne. The town even had a marvelous stone-cut three-story building which rose above the skyline. The John S. Cook & Company bank building had luxurious Italian marble stairs, imported stained glass windows. Opening in 1908, the building cost more than $90,000 to build, or just over $2.5 million today. A miner named Tom Kelly built a bottle house in February 1906 from 50,000 discarded beer and liquor bottles. That house, as ridiculous as it sounds, still stands today. Now, Neil Young once noted it's better to burn out than to fade away. It seems, even before Neil's time, Rhyolite took that advice to heart. At 5.12 a.m. on Wednesday, April 18, 1906, a magnitude 7.9 earthquake leveled San Francisco. 3,000 people were dead. Fires lasted for days and destroyed 80% of the city. This disaster interrupted rail service and diverted money away from investments like Rhyolite and into the devastated city. The following year, the Panic of 1907 caused even further financial harm when investment money from back east slowed to a trickle. But the final nail in the coffin were the mines themselves, which began to fail one by one. After producing nearly $25 million in today's dollars in the first three years, the mines began to run dry. Unemployed miners packed up and moved away in scores. The 1910 census reported only 675 residents remained. 
By March 1910, all three banks were closed. The very last train left Rhyolite Station in July 1914, and the electricity in its lines were removed in 1916. The 1920 census reported a population of only 14 people. A 1922 motor tour by the Los Angeles Times found only one remaining resident, a 92-year-old man who died in 1924. In the end, Rhyolite burned out in less than five years. From Italian marble stairs and opera houses to stone ruins and dirt tracks, the old prospector Shorty Harris must have spun a few good stories from this old ghost town and busted gateway. Having prospected from Leadville, Colorado to Tombstone, Arizona, all over Nevada and Death Valley itself, the rise and fall of Rhyolite must have been bittersweet for the old miner, as he often fondly called it the best strike he ever made. Shorty Harris says that he sold his share of the Bullfrog Mine for $25,000, while Ed Cross, his partner, sold out for more than $125,000, but some report that Harris actually gambled away his claim for $1,000 and a mule. Harris was known as a tall tale spinner and a lover of good alcohols, so we may never truly know. Harris spent the rest of his life spinning mining tales and prospecting in the hills, dying in 1934 at the age of 77 in Big Pine, California. Harris is buried in a simple grave next to his friend and fellow pioneering prospector Jim Dayton. Of the many people in attendance for Harris's funeral was Bob Montgomery, who hadn't been back to the valley in nearly 30 years. The epitaph on Shorty's grave reads, Here lies Shorty Harris, a single blanket jackass prospector. I love ghost towns and old boom towns because they often fit a lot of history into a short amount of time. They also make for great day trips and fun stories to share with friends. I hope you've enjoyed this little bit of history and I invite you back to enjoy more of these episodes. I'm Jeremy Long, the Full Metal Traveler.